This is Brian Pants Christman from Comic Geek Speak, and you're listening to The Lantern Cast, episode 52! Hi everybody, I'm Jim Ford. I'm Dan Kersky. And this is The Lantern Cast. Episode 52. 52. Yep. God. This is the fi- this is it. This is it. This is the end. This is the final Blackest Night episode. This is yeah. all of it. We're finishing out, alright. We're finishing up. We're doing Secret Six, number 17 and 18, for some god awful reason. We're doing Green Lantern Core, number 46. Green Lantern 52, which worked out beautifully, and uh, Blackest Night number 8. Yes. Yeah, the the only reason that we're doing Secret 6, 17, and 18 is because we didn't want to finish the Blackest Night series and then still have these as outstanding books, because that would just be horrendous. You didn't. I was perfectly fine with it. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Um, I guess uh, we'll talk about Aruba Silver for a second. Oh, sure. Okay, ArobaSilver.com, our sponsor. Go check them out. They sell Green Lantern rings. They sell a lot of different types of Green Lantern rings. They sell officially licensed by DC Green Lantern rings. Check them out. They're really awesome. We have a, a couple of our own. They have a lot of different designs of different Green Lanterns. Really, you have to go to ArobaSilver.com to check it out. I mean, we've we've mentioned this, like, I don't know, a million times in the past. So check them out. Go there. Use the code DSC10. Save 10%. ArobaSilver.com. That's that's all I got to say about that. I like their Nova helmets. <laughs> Let's uh, jump right in with Secret 6, 17, and 18. This is something that we are not going to spend a lot of time on. Yeah, in fact, do just do one one big short summary for both issues together. Just just do that. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, okay. Um as few words as possible. <laughs> uh there's a whole bunch of fighting between the Secret 6 and uh what's the other one? The Suicide Squad? Yeah, them. Yeah, and a bunch of Black Lanterns. So it's kind of like a three-way battle. The the Secret 6 are kind of you know, being um Hold up in the House of Mysteries, and there's a gargoyle there. There's a bunch of fighting, Catman and the Tiger Face guy. The uh, music-playing Black Lantern dude is going after a bunch of other members of whatnot. The, the two teams are able to escape because Black Alice has taken Shadow... Nightshade. Yeah, whatever. Whatever her name is, that doesn't matter. Nightshade's <laughs> power, and she transports them away through, like, the dead zone dimension. But she's stupid, so she doesn't close it in time. <laughs> and the entire point of getting away from the Black Lanterns is completely moot because they follow. So now they're all fighting in front of the House of, Mis- uh, the House of Secrets. That's currently burning down because Amanda Waller wants to get the Secret Six out. And then Amanda Waller says, okay, time to, time to stop this. 
and she pulls out a manhunter that she fished out of a swamp. She controls it remotely with the helmet that was used to control Kemo, or Kemo, whatever that guy's name was. And so the manhunter explodes in a burst of emerald energy, because, you know, it's powered by Green Lantern energy. And uh, apparently that's enough to sever connections, even though everything that we know considers that completely 100% wrong. Um, it's a happy ending. Everybody leaves, goes on their way, and blah, blah, blah. There were two, I'll say two panels in this that I thought were funny. I like them. Yeah. And they're both in number uh, number 18. The first one, right after that, that cool line about, like, it's like, we need some help here. They have a gargoyle for some reason. I don't get it. But right underneath, they, like, Amanda Waller has this, like, like multiple man guy. I forget what his name is. Multiplex? Yeah, that's it. Um, She just says to one of them, and, like, he makes copies of himself, you know. He's basically Jamie Madrox, but stupid. <laughs> she says, how many of your multiplex bodies has that thing killed? And he says, five, I think. And from all panel, you hear, ah, help, help me. Uh, six. <laughs> that was funny. And yeah. the other one was late towards the end when they have that, like, two-page spread that has all the little vignettes all over it. You see, was it Dollman talking to, apparently there's an Adam that died? Yeah. And he's he's saying, you know, you know, Eck, it's the all-dead Adam. He's the flying fetus of doom. I chuckled at that. Yeah. I had no um, idea there was a third item. <laughs> yeah, weird. no, me neither. Um, yeah, like, uh... Okay, first off, I'll start off by saying that I like these two issues a lot better than that other Suicide Squad issue. Yeah. The Suicide Squad issue was just completely horrible. These two issues were, you know, I'll say that they did have, you know, some, some, some decent parts. You know, like the the fight between Catman and Tigerface. And I didn't bother to learn their names because it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, stuff like that. You know, the uh, the the Banshee chick, she's pretty cool. The, it was Scandal Savage. I I have, like, no use for her. She seems completely useless to me. Really, like, my only problem with this is that Gail Simone, I, I think, has almost no idea how to write, like, Green Lantern concept things. I, you know, it's... I'm not sure what it, you know what it is, why it is, but... When she tries to write, you know, something Green Lantern-related, and this has happened in the past Wonder Woman issue, and there was actually a Wonder Woman issue that just came out with a Green Lantern core tie-in. And, you know, it's just like, when she's writing this, it's like, I don't know, she's very she's very character-driven. She's a character-driven writer, but, I don't know, she's, like, giving characterization that isn't really there to some characters, or shouldn't be there. Well, I can't speak to the Wonder Woman issue, which, you know, I do own, but, you know, I was kind of busy finishing episode 50 <laughs> till, till 5.30 this morning. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> yeah, well, there is that. I don't know. If, it's going to sound weird, but one thing that really took me out of this was the fact that, like, 
once they get to the Secret Six's house or whatever, yeah, that thing is really, really, really on fire. Like, like if you look at it, it's it's at that stage of on fire where, like, the wood it's made of is almost not physically existing anymore. And like, all I could think about while all this other stuff is going on is they're gonna have to move. They can't go there any, ever again. That's, that, that place is going to be not... It's going to be vapor in, like, another five minutes. You know, it, well, it's, it's the House of Secrets. Oh, that's right. Maybe it can't burn. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean... I, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to have a workaround for that, but, uh... But, you know, okay, and, and we're already spending too much time on this, these issues. But really, like... What it comes down to is, you know, and the reason that these couldn't be, you know, good issues for me is because the way that they deal with the Black Lanterns, they explode a Manhunter. Now, you know, like, in Green Lantern Corps, which is, like, one of the main books, you know, you see Kyle explode a power battery. You know, those things have so much more green energy than, you know, than these things ever, you know, these Manhunters ever had. And, you know, that just, that destroys them, but it doesn't sever connections. Because it, it was established in Black as Night, the very miniseries that you're tying into, that you need more than one color. That, actually, let me stop you right there. Okay. okay where is, where is this? Hang on. It wasn't just the Manhunter explosion. Okay. So right, be- right before that, she throws a couple grenades. Flash grenades. Yeah. Yeah. Not just flash grenades. Uh, where did she say? In the lab, she says to the guy, "I'm gonna need some of those flash grenades you you pinched off of Doctor Light." Yeah, Doctor Light flash grenades. Yeah, I remember back when we covered the Justice League of America two or three issues, we saw like one of the Doctor Lights once she really gets going, able to you know, tap into the true potential of her power or whatever and sever connections. So if if like if Doctor Light filled some sort of grenade with her power or his power or whichever one it is, then maybe that's what softened him up. <laughs> oh God. I know. I don't agree with it either. I'm just saying they put that out there. So that might be it. I was just pissed that Okay, I ordered this issue specifically because of the awesome cover image of a Manhunter shooting at some stuff and black rings flying around. Yeah. When the Manhunter showed up, all they did was explode it right away and then go home. So I'm like, really? That sucks. Yeah. I like the fact that Deadshot killed him, or shot Amanda Waller. I'm, I was like, oh, well, that's interesting, but she's fine. Yeah. It's a critical shot. We'll have to get her to safety or else she'll die. Yeah, come on. Like, my big problem with the Secret Six and this whole setup right here is, like, okay, the Suicide Squad, that's Waller's people, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Suicide Squad has them outman and outmash it in, like, every way. But the Suicide Squad says, you know what? We're more badass than you. Or the Secret <laughs> Six says, no, you know what? We're more badass than you. And the squad is like, well, they got a point. Let's go home. And they do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, that's what I call a sticky situation. Wah, wah. All right, so are we done with this? We are so done with that. Can I can I be straight with you? Sure. 
I neither bought nor read number 17. Oh, God. Yeah, because, all right, when when they solicited that Suicide Squad resurrected thing, I thought it was going to be a one-shot, because, you know, they told us they were going to be one-shots. <laughs> yeah. And I, I ordered num- Secret 618 because of the awesome Manhunter cover. Secret 617 had a picture of Catman fighting the tiger guy. There's nothing remotely Black as Night about it, so I skipped that. And then it turned into a three-issue story. It's like, really? Uh. You know what? Actually, 17 probably had the... Well, between 17 and that horrendous Suicide Squad one-shot, 17 had, like, very little Black Lantern, you know, Black as Night tie-in to it. Was it just the two cat people fighting? Well, no, no, but it, it was a lot of the lot of Secret Six fighting the Suicide Squad, and it was actually probably the most satisfying issue out of the three. Oh well, good. So, I mean, out of all the issues to not pick up, you probably missed out on the best one. I actually had planned on getting it at Super Show, but then I ended up not getting any comics at Super Show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know how that went. All right, so Green Lantern Corps. Yes. All right, Green Lantern Corps forty six. This is this is kind of a I don't know a somber occasion because this is the final Gleason Tomasi issue. Is it? Is it definitely? It is. The next issue is um the uh, that that uh, cover with Ganthet, John Stewart, and Kyle Rayner. So next issue is um oh god, who is it? Tony Bedard and. Artie and Saif, I think, are the artist. Okay. Yeah. So this is it for them. Okay, so big honkin' space fight in space between the Black Lanterns and every color lantern that is alive. Guy Gardner realizes, you know what? Star Trek can fix this. So he pulls an idea from the original Star Trek series, and they make a big honkin' light net that just... That just kills the hell out of every Black Lantern that can drag through it until Ice and Alex show up, Black Lantern Lee just freaking the hell out of Guy and Kyle, which, you know, they get over it. Guy falls to Earth and finds the Anti-Monitor trying to bash his way out of the Black the black uh, Central Battery in Coast City. And now all of a sudden, everybody's like, uh, you know what? Let's, 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 let's screw the Space Army of Zombies right now. This is more important. They're all fighting the Anti-Monitor. Dove's, you know, keeping the Black Lanterns off their backs because she's cool like that. But they can't sever his connection because he's not dead yet. He's almost dead, not really there. <laughs> not dead yet. Not quite dead yet. Oh, God, don't get me started on Monty Python, all right? <laughs> um, so they're like, you know what? Let's, 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 oh, God. What, what do they even do? I feel like God, you threw me off of my hatred of Monty Python. All right. they, they shoot him <laughs> in the head with a bullet. Yeah, they decide to they they actually do this cool thing. They load her into um Bedovian, the the yellow lantern snail creature that's an awesome sniper. He shoots her out of his gun through like every other color energy in the spectrum to charge her up and gets the antimatter right between the eyes and there's this like this massive exit wound on the back of his head. So he's dead. But he, the battery isn't letting go. It pu- it's pulling him back in. The, the lanterns are trying to pull him out, but it, it just doesn't work out. So they all, they all resolve that, you know what, this isn't working, so let's take the fight to Necron. Okay. Yeah. I like the, uh, the last page, the, uh, the full page spread there. 
The last page? Yeah. Really? Well, it, it's cool, the, like, the way that it's set up with the, uh, the different colors. I thought the issue was good until the last page. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, uh, what is it, the elephant blue lantern guy? Uh, yeah, Worth, yeah. Yeah. He, he's a little, you know, wonky. He's wonky, like, like, Guy Gardner's face is weird, and they, they totally obscure Rage Kitty in the bomb corner. So pissed. Yeah. <laughs> no, but just like the, the composition where it goes, you know, from red up to violet. Hmm. I just wish there was orange. Yeah, yeah. Well, man. Okay. Oh, oh, speaking of Rage Kitty. Yes. Like the very first page, it like, I'm like, oh, okay, final Gleason Tomasi issue. And I open the first page. They miscolored him. God damn it. Because <laughs> he's down. He's like, pink or something in the bomb panel in the bottom right corner. I just figured that was because he was, uh, he's glowing red. No. He's glowing red throughout the rest of the issue, too, and he's still blue. Um. Uh, where else? Where's, where's, an, where's another page with him? Uh, Alright, well, the, the page where they do the screen. Okay. He's at the top. See, he's blue. And then, let's see, where else is he? Mm. No, he's blue. He's blatantly not orange. <laughs> I don't know. I, ju- I just took that as, uh, it's just like the, the colors together. No, it's not. like. And then the the page where Guy Garner has all the Red Lanterns vomit on the anti-monitor, he's blatantly blue there. They use the wrong color, just flat out. Uh, to my eyes, I didn't really notice that too too. Well, your eyes are stupid, so there. Wow. But beyond that, I was beyond that and the entirety of the final page, I was happy with the art. Yeah, yeah, I like the art. I had no problems. Uh, we didn't get any any way cool Miri energy things going on, but you know that was the only real downside. <laughs> like, I can't decide if I, which I like better: this two-page splash at the very beginning. Or the uh, the shot of the anti-monitor getting his brains blown out. <laughs> um, yeah, that was good. I kind of like the uh, the page with the the web that they create. That one was really good. That's so random of Guy Gardner too. He's, he just pulls out a Star Trek reference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I meant to look up like see if I can find that episode, but I never did. <laughs> oh, with the Tholian web. Okay, a couple of things. Now, first off, the the web that they create. Now, they're, you know, they're shooting their beams to create this, like, you know, giant net. So anybody that goes through the net is going to, you know, their connection is going to get severed. Now, my my question about this is that, like, well, if they're doing something on such a large scale like that, then, you know, doesn't that kind of go, like, uh, you know, kind of kind of contradict what Monk had said? as far as it has to be, like, an intimate burst from your ring? I think he was just talking about Indigo. Because, like, I, the impression I got was, like, that's, that's like, the compassion people, not everybody. Well, well, even so, though, you know, you can see Monk is, is one of the, uh, he's one of them that's using his energy to, you know, pour into the net. Yeah, but, I mean, like, there's what, there's, like, there's, like, five indigo lanterns up there or something. It's like, even if his thing doesn't contribute at all, 
there's still like hundreds of people who are being effective. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I I kind of I think this is a little like stretching that that intimate burst kind of thing. I'll go back and look at the issues later, but I thought he was referring to his like to the indigo light specifically. Well, even even still, like the indigo are part of this. So, I mean, like you know, and I almost feel like their light shouldn't be like traveling throughout the you know the entirety of this net. All right, but you know, even if the indigo light doesn't contribute at all, you've still got all of the red and the yellow and the blue and the violet. And as long as even one of those is interacting with the green, the net would be effective. Okay. Well, that that's definitely true if what you're saying as far as, you know, uh, only indigo is the one that has to be an intimate burst. Um, okay, the other thing, the anti-monitor. They shoot the anti-monitor in the head. Now, the anti-monitor is basically like it's a shell with his energy in it. It's been a while since I read Crisis. Well, well, not even Crisis, like, uh, in, um, Green Lantern 25. Once they destroy his shell, he, like, goes, like, flying throughout the universe, and he's just energy. So, I mean, like, you know, shooting him between the eyes, it just, you know, it seems odd that that would be the, something that would kill him. Well, we have to take into account, like, that battery has been doing a number on him, too. Like, it's been draining him and all this crap. So, I don't know. But, you know, at any event, this is just, like, a short-term roadblock for him anyway, so that's all right. Yeah. Oh, what did you think of uh, what happened to Vath? Oh, no legs? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm kind of jaded in the fact that, like, I figure he'll just have, like, ring-created legs or something like that if he needs them. Considering, like, the nature of how the power works, he wouldn't necessarily need legs, I guess. But still, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm curious to see what they do with this character. It's a, it's almost like, I, I don't know, I almost want to say it's almost symbolic that they took, the, they might be taking this character off the board here. Because, like, I don't know, with this creative team going, it almost feels like an end of an era for this book, you know? And, look, Vath is one of the new characters that came in in Recharge. Either way, it was a pretty powerful, powerful little, like, three panels there. <laughs> like, no matter what, he wants to, to stay in the fight. I guess it is good that at least somebody had, like, a casual, you know, there was a casualty. Mm. You know, I mean, like, this is a giant cosmic war. You know, so, yeah, granted, there's going to be a lot of people that die, but, you know, how about some people that get injured? Now, the big thing that I just kind of didn't need, with the exception of the cool Black Lantern refrigerator magnet, <laughs> is the whole Alex thing. Because I feel yeah. like, like they not certainly not to this extent, but I didn't they do this already in this book? Um, did they? I, I think like the, there, God, there was definitely a Black Lantern refrigerator floating around before that like Kyle had to do something to like I don't know maybe it's just because they spent a good amount of time on the jade thing that like this just kind of felt like it was retreading oh yes yeah when jade came back one of her constructs oh that's what it was you know was the refrigerator yeah Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm reading like all. I'm reading these pages, and I'm just thinking to myself, I want to see more of the army of everybody versus the other army of everybody and the anti monitor. I don't want to see because, like, I'm I'm just we're at this stage of Blackest Night. I'm kind of done with the whole. I'm gonna try and convince you I'm your loved one thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm glad we got a page or two of Guide talking to Ice because, again, we haven't seen anybody really, really affect Guy like this, and it made perfect sense with his relationship with Ice of where they left that. And even that only lasted, like, two pages, but this was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, not not only, you know, not not even just the fact that, okay, well, he got over this a really long time ago, and it it always has been a part of him, and I think in, uh, I want to say Circle of Fire, when he met Alex, you know, from, like, an alternate reality, which, you know, may or may not have actually been, but, and I won't, I won't go into that because I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, like, getting to, you know, talk with her in that story, I think, also kind of helped him kind of put those demons to rest kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it just, it seems like Kyle Rayner since he was created, has come so far that, like, you know, yeah, I almost almost feel like it shouldn't have lasted this long, like this many pages. It's like a scaled-down version of why I hated Green Lantern 49 with the Jon Stewart stuff. (laughs) But, you know what, maybe this will be a similar situation. Maybe, maybe this is, this is one writer kind of having the final word on the loss that has defined the character up to this point, so now the next writer that has him can go to something else, like they did with John. Mm. Until Ron Mars comes back, because every single time he comes back, he does the same, like, five things with Kyle. Oh, God. We'll see Alex Nero again. (laughs) We'll probably see Effigy again. Somebody will die. Somebody will die. Kyle will mention Radu for some reason, even though we haven't heard from him in, like, eight years. Uh, (laughs) Major Force will come up, you know. Oh, yes, yeah. Okay. God. This, man. Let me ask you, which cover did you get? For this? Yeah. Uh, The the Gleason cover. Good. Because, I mean, all right, back when it was first solicited... And I saw that uh, that cover of the anti-monitor stepping out of the battery, and it was all, like, brightly lit and shit. I'm like, oh, my God, I want to get that cover. But then, like, the day before, I realized, you know, that's for this issue. This is the last Gleason Tomasi issue. I really hope I don't get that cover. I want the cover that's, you know, first of all, it's by Gleason. And secondly, it's a Guy Gardner cover. And this yeah. book, this book started as basically the Guy Gardner series. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, if this is the only cover that to me has like a fitting kind of bookend feel to it for this this run. So what cover did you get? Oh no, I got the good one. I got the <laughs> I got the Guy Gardner one. I don't I don't know that I saw the uh, the other one. Really? I can't remember. I'll I'll post it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else to say about this. I don't think so. Yeah, no, it was just really good. I'm, I mean, despite the complaints or whatever, this was a really good issue. Oh yeah, 
And, oh, there's one thing, like, one nice little art thing I thought was a cool cool bit of strategy. In the first two-page spread, you've got, um, Saranic Netu holding ring hands with a blue lantern, and they're firing at once, so they're emitting this blue-green energy beam, which I thought, you know what, that's actually a good idea, considering you have to mix another color with a green lantern anyway, so why not just do that? Yeah, that's cool. I didn't even notice that. God. I'm, wow. I'm excited for next issue, but I'm also a little, I don't know. Apprehensive? Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything against the creative team that's coming on. But it's like, it's like, it's not these guys, you know? Yeah. I know. Oh, well. Well. Okay. All right, so Green Lantern 52. Let's see. This is is a big issue. Yeah, this is... Well, actually, something that did continue off of a... Because in Green Lantern Corps, we saw Jon Stewart and uh, Kilowog starting to rally a team together. Oh, oh. (laughs) That's one thing I wanted to point out about Green Lantern Corps. I thought it was a really funny little exchange here. (laughs) When, um, right when Guy's giving out the orders to make the web, John John says, you know, I hate to break up the party, but the situation is going to get worse before it gets better. uh, Kyle's like, how much worse? Zanshi. The planet? Yeah. The one that you... Um, destroyed, yeah, now it's back in the Black Lantern. <laughs> I, just, I just thought that was played nicely, I like that. Uh, okay, so Green Lantern 52, continuing right off of that, John has has a group of like ten other lanterns with him, they're going after Zanshi, but all of the Black Lanterns in their way sense basically Sinestro on Earth, so every Black Lantern period is headed for Coast City. Uh, which makes it, you know, kind of easy for John and his crew to get to Zanchi, get to the core of it with a little help by Drick in his god-awful costume redesign, and just explode the damn thing. Uh, meanwhile, on Earth, Sinestro is trying to, to you know, he's he's decimating Black Lanterns all over the place. Uh, he's He's getting these visions about the origin of all life, which... You know, which through which we we find the true beginnings of the entities, and and then we get this this awesome two page spread of what this is the first time we have ever seen all seven of the entities in the spectrum. Like we've seen we've seen Ion and Parallax and the Predator before, but now we got the Blue Hope one, we got the Indigo one, we got they're all there, and it's awesome. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yes. Um. Then, all of a sudden, Necron's like, nope, and he cuts Sinestro in half the long way, <laughs> and everybody's freaking out because, you know, Sinestro has the white light entity in him. So if you cut him through the face, everyone feels it in the universe, <laughs> which, you know, good on you, Sinestro. But that doesn't really work out because, you know, he has, he's basically got all of life inside of him, so... The entity fixes Sinestro up. He pulls out a big honking sword and says, "You know what? Payback time, bitch." So, <laughs> so we got Green Lantern Fifty Two. What do you think? What do you think of that spread of the entities? Oh my God! I mean, it's well. I mean, besides the fact that it's gorgeous, oh God, it's it's so amazing. Now, how do you feel? This is something that I didn't 
I wasn't sure of at first. How do you feel of like about like basically all of them kind of being animals? Like I don't know what the hell the predator is, but they're basically all animals. Um well the white entity is almost like a humanoid creature. That's true. So I mean yeah, I don't know. So when I first saw the red one, I thought, oh, it's a bull? That's kind of weird. But then I just fell in love with the fact that its face is shaped like the emblem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm telling you right now, I love the indigo one, the compassion one. Yeah. Because it's an octopus or squid or whichever. Squid. Yeah, it's a squid, and it can hug really well. And it's the compassion entity. <laughs> oh, boy. I choose to call it squishy. Yeah, I, I'm very curious as to what the predator is. Yeah, I don't know. He's just kind of pointy. <laughs> he's he's a dinosaur. He's a pointyosaurus. <laughs> I mean, he kind of looks like, like a tick or something like that. Love sucks the life out of you. There you go. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah, it's a skeleton. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, I mean, sh- should we do this now? Should we Should we go into... The origin of the entities. Let's shall. Cause you, okay. Because I have the whole thing that you hate. Well, well, be, before we go into you know your 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 theory, yeah. Um, we'll we'll talk about the the entities. You know the the actual different colored entities themselves first. Okay. The whole thing is basically like um, a merging of Big Bang theory and creationism. You have. You know, Ion is created from the first creature that wills itself to to move. And it kind of looks like a fish, but, like, when you look at all the other things, it's it's basically like one-celled organisms just existing there. Um, and when, you know, one of them decides to actually start moving, it, it raises itself above all the rest and becomes Ion. Hmm. Now, what? Oh, no, I was just humming the theme to Big Bang Theory. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, for for Parallax, you know, I actually had this one confused a little, and uh, and Corwin on the message boards kind of cleared it up for me. You know, he pointed out that it says that, you know, you have these bugs that take to the air, fleeing for survival. So it transforms into the emotional power that it emits, the emotional power that it emits is fear because it's fleeing for survival. It's that that survival instinct that, like, in the past we've mentioned fear can have a good side in that, you know, it causes you to run for your life kind of thing. Fight or flight. Exactly. Well, that's how Parallax was born. Um, you have the Predator, which, you know, this one is very vague, but it, it appears to take place in some sort of lush garden or forest. Garden of Eden, baby. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, then you have the snake with the apple for avarice, and I mean, this is one's an obvious imagery. Garden of Eden, baby. <laughs> yep. Uh, rage grows from murder. This mm. is Cain and Abel. Yes. Um, and that one, you know, that's the, the the rock that they show is like the red rock of rage that they've made reference to plenty of times already for Cain and Abel. Yeah. Oh, we'll go. We'll. Come back to that in a minute, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, actually, I think I know why that's a bull. Why? 
because I'm pretty sure that, you know, I, like I haven't read my, uh, you know, Genesis in a long time, but um, I'm pretty sure that Cain was jealous because Abel kept on, you know, um, offering up like the best of everything, like the fat, the fattened calf. So, you know, it was probably, you know, the rage was probably created out of the fatted calf or something like that. Are you a religious person? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely have my beliefs. Oh, all right. It's just never um, come up, and I'm like, huh, I wonder. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not so much, like, I don't so much believe in the, the church concept, but, uh, you know, I, I do have a lot of, you know, Christian-type beliefs. Okay. So, then you have hope from prayer, and that you have, like, strong imagery of rain and, and water, so... You know, you're thinking the the dove from um, the Great Flood, Noah's Ark. Mm. And that's when we have compassion. This is where we kind of divide. Right. It says, and at last, compassion is offered to us all. And it's just like, you know, an indigo light, just kind of like a shining light. And uh, and the entity is an, a squid. Woohoo! Okay. Squishy, squishy. <laughs> so now, I've heard your theory, and you you believe that it's compassion offered as far as like the flood waters receding. Yeah, because the way I read the panel was basically, I, I the, the these two to me seemed like they came like one right after the other. Like, like hope came from prayer, and we see like you know, the the world being drowned for forty days and nights. It's it's forty, right? Yes. All right, 40 days and nights. And, you know, everybody's praying for that to stop. Every living thing wants to stay alive and have this be over. And then the very next panel is, and at last, compassion is offered to us all, which I took to mean, like, okay, the rain stopped and the floodwaters subsided and not every living thing died out. Right. So that that's what you, you think. Yeah. Now, like, I can... I can see the logic to that in that, for one thing, the uh, the entity is a squid. So, you know, the floodwaters are receding, and, you know, floodwaters, squid, not to mention, like, in the Bible, they, they say that the, uh, or the Old Testament, rather, they say that God's promise that he would never flood the earth again was a rainbow. Ah, <laughs> So, you know, when, like, this would complete the, you know, the rainbow of entities. Hmm. So, I mean, like, there is that. There is that. However, it says, you know, and at last, compassion is offered to us all. And yet, like, you know, the the floodwaters receding is not really compassion offered to all. Well, I mean, if the floodwaters didn't recede, it would have decimated all life on Earth. So, you know... (laughs) We're we're still here because they didn't do that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like I could, I, I see what you're saying, and I just feel like that that piece of information because in well, okay. Well, tell them well, what you I, think. Tell them what you think it is. Like in Christianity, and you know, like I'm not I'm not trying to press anything on anybody. I'm just this is how I interpret it. Compassion is offered to all by Jesus dying on, you know, Good Friday and coming back on Easter Sunday, 
Um, you know, he died taking, you know, everybody's sins or whoever, you know, chooses to accept that. Now, I mean, okay, not everybody believes, everybody believes in Christianity. I understand that. But from a story point of view, like, I can't think of something that is, like, you know, like, is more of a compassionate act. Because, like, the floodwaters receding isn't really something that somebody's offering compassion, you know? There's no conscious thought in that one. Maybe. Uh, it, it's, it's weird talking about this without, without like, confirming or, or, or coming out and saying, okay, God did it. Or something like that, you know? Or, like, if if we... Because something to remember here, this is all very, like, the vague cliff notes on how these entities came to be. Right. So, for all we know, we're going to meet later someone or something that physically took steps to stop the flood so that there would still be life on Earth. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. So, I don't I don't know. But... Yeah. Hey, I, and I, I kind of think that the reason that they leave it like this, this extremely vague is because they don't want to have to, you know, flesh it out later. Yeah. I mean, my thing, cause I mean, when I look at, when I look at things like the love one where, you know, be, between love and greed and hate or rage, whatever, mm-hmm. like to me, there's no question the love is like Adam and Eve garden of Eden kind of thing. They're, they're not gonna like, give any hard confirmation to like this uber biblical story or anything. So they're going to, they're going to heavily imply the garden and they'll be like way off in the distance. The first two people to feel love for each other that just happened to be, you know, obscured by this flicker of light. Okay. So it's, it's understood, but they're not saying it's Adam and Eve. Right. And the same thing with like, with, and that's, that's reinforced by the snake for greed. And the thing with Cain and Abel is, you know, it's it's a story from the Bible, but you can come out and say that long ago there was a guy named Cain who killed a guy named Abel, and that was the first murder that we can trace without it verifying anything else in the Bible, kind of, basically. You know what I'm saying? Well, um, the other thing with that is, I mean... DC kind of does have its own, like, religious, like, you know, section. And that, you know, it's got the Spectre, who is God's, you know, God's rage. The the Red Rock of Rage with, with Cain and Abel, this has, like, been brought up, you know, you know, many times in the past, where it actually does refer to Cain and Abel. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, like, there are certain parts that are definitely reinforced. Okay, but I just mean like, like okay, the fact that Cain and Abel were real guys that really did they they really were the the committee and the the committer of the first murder that doesn't automatically you know go to to say okay that means that you know ugh, I'm trying not to be offensive <laughs> that. That you know all this, all the the stuff about Jesus is also real, or all well, the stuff about this, because like, like it's it's it can just mean that like okay, you know what? There was this this one guy who killed this other guy, and the names were right, you know. Well, uh, let me let me let me try and put this 
how I think what you mean. You, well, okay, the, the Old Testament, the, sto- the stories in the Old Testament are, you know, they have weight in Christianity, in Judaism, and I'm pretty sure they also have weight in, uh, oh, the Koran? It was that Islam? Yeah, Islam. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that all three kind of like share like similar concepts for the very beginning of the Bible. Where, you know, you have like the Adam and Eve, the Cain and Abel, you know, the, the, the apple, the sin, and the flood. These are all things that are shared between, you know, many religions. So, to say that there was a Cain and Abel, and to say that there was an Adam and Eve, it's not, you know, it's not really, you know, excluding religions. And if you don't believe in that, then, you know, it just offers it to you as a story. Eh, I don't know that's really what I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's how I interpret it. And, I mean, this, this clearly doesn't say that, you know, oh, okay, well, there was, uh, you know, God just kind of created man because it, it kind of shows, like, you know, like the Big Bang evolutionary kind of aspect. So it's kind of like they're trying to, like, you know, cover their rear ends by, you know, merging them to say, oh, well, we're not actually choosing sides over, you know, one over the other. I you know, I see that. I definitely see that. I'm just saying that you read this, you can go, all right, there was a guy named Cain who killed a guy named Abel. And if if you're a religious person, you can go with the religious... Te- context of it if you're not a religious person there's nothing in here that says it was anything religious really so it's it's just the first murder as far as this is concerned the one the one thing that i do wonder is if if it's not jesus for the compassion then like i don't know i I guess i would like to see i guess another hint or something like that as far like if it's the flood then you're not really going to offend anybody by by giving more details that it's the flood. Mm. Um, if it's some kind of other event that we don't actually know about that they plan on writing about in the future, I'd like to hear about that. Like I don't like if 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 they're like you know you know wink wink nudge nudge it actually is Jesus but we're not actually going to say that so that we can get around you know not actually having to make a reference to Jesus in a comic book. Like, you know, okay, that's that's cool. But if it's something else, like, you know, do let us know. That's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, but, I mean, this is this is classic Jeff Johns. He, you know, in, like, the final or second to final chapter of his current big story arc, he throws in... I mean, hell, like, look at when Sinestro Corps ended. We, all of a sudden, we get told, oh, by the way, there's a whole emotional spectrum out there, and... Oh, also, there's going to be seven different Lantern Corps going to war. Here's a picture. Oh, and also, there's a Black Lantern somewhere. And then yeah. we, he just moved, we just moved on with our lives, and we found out about it slowly over the next few years. So, like, this is... I see this as basically that, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, DC really does... They've always walked a, a, a line with the Spectre where... I mean, I mean, they've definitely gotten more daring, I'll say, with what they've allowed 
the character to say and do. Like, I remember a time when when uh, the, they wouldn't let the Spectre say the word God. You know, it was always him or he with a capital H or whatever, or the presence or something. But I'd, and I think I said this on the forum. I don't think they're going to go with the Jesus thing. And again, no, please nobody be offended with me being like a little glib with this. I'm trying not to be. I'm just, I'm honestly, I'm just not that well-versed in religion to be able to talk intelligently about it. So, you know, no, nothing, you know. I don't think they're going to go with that simply because, like, given how they've approached the Spectre in the past and Heaven and whatnot in the DC Universe, if this is something they're going to plan on coming back to, I don't think they can make it be Jesus. Like, I think they would have to go with something that would stray away from just taking that and making it into a comic book character or concept or an affirmation of any one or group of religions. Wait a second. Wait a second. I just realized something. What's that? The Spear of Destiny. Mm-hmm. That's a weapon in the DC Universe, right? That, yeah, that exists, yeah. That's like the one thing that can harm the Spectre. Is it the one thing? Well, okay, no, but it's <laughs> it's one of the things that can, like, you know, completely kill the Spectre. Or it can control the Spectre, I think it, that's what it is. I forget what its deal is. Well, okay. But you know, you know what it is. Is yeah, that's isn't that supposed to be like like the 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 spear that somebody used to kill Christ on the cross or something? Yes. Okay. And so. even <laughs> but even then, even then, I would have to. I want to because I have not read Final Crisis Revelations yet, and right. I want to see how they act like the actual language they use because all they would have to do is throw in there like like story one story says that this this. And it's like, it's, it wouldn't be like a flat like, affirmation of this, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, I think in, um... Because the Spirit of Destiny's been around since the 40s, I think, and, like, originally Hitler wanted it just because it was a really powerful magical thing. Well, whoever whoever holds the Spear of Destiny can't be defeated. Yeah, and that's, that's like... What it actually does is change so many times, but... Yeah. I mean, hell, it was in it was in the Constantine movie, <laughs> um, but that's something that I want to forget. Um, the whole, Cain and Abel, yeah, Cain is Vandal Savage, right? So if you're looking for a, an existing DC character that the Spectre has fought before, that would be a candidate to have the Red Rage entity in him, it's Vandal Savage. <laughs> Especially, like, if you go back and look at, um, uh, Rob Red Final Crisis Revelations, that was the whole, like, Vandal Savage gets the Spear of Destiny thing with Spectres in and whatnot. And, like, Vandal Savage is in there. He's, like, the Red Rock that we keep talking about is in there. And Savage is using, like, all this, like, like, he's binding the Spectre with, like, red construct chains and all that. And, at the time, you would just think, like, okay, it's just magic. It's it's coming from this magical device. But you know what? Being up that Vandal Savage has the red rage entity in him. Because that, that is one thing that they did come out and confirm. Like, I think it was through that that uh, miniseries that, you know, Vandal Savage, he's been alive basically as long as humankind has been alive. And he's just, he's been a lot of historical figures, and he is, at one he was Kane. 
So he committed the first murder? Well, I mean, that would explain, like... Well, I want to say that would explain, like, how he's been able to survive. Although, like, there was also, like, the mark of Cain, in which case, you know, Cain was, like, cursed to walk the earth forever. I don't know. I mean, I th- I don't think they're invalidating the meteor thing. Because, like, he he's had to survive from caveman times long enough to commit the first murder as, like, Cain. Wait a second. Wait. What if he used the meteor to kill Abel? <laughs> that works. <laughs> uh, and technically, Vandal Savage is a Green Lantern villain. He's a classic Alan Scott bad guy. So there you go. There, there's your, there's your red entity for you. We'll see. All right. So the thing, the big thing for me here is, and this is this is also the reason why I think it's going to be something else, not not like Jesus or whatever. And I said this to you through text message. Yes. There's one thing, like when I was that kind of jumped out at me when I was reading this issue. Because, like, scattered throughout Jeff John's run of Green Lantern, it's been the whole, like, like they've referenced the whole, like, once there was darkness and then there was light kind of thing, you know. I think it was even in Blackest Night number zero. And I'd always understood that to mean, like, all right, once only darkness existed, and then out of nowhere, light just began existing, all right? Then we learned that, all right, where did light in the universe come from? Well, it came from this sentient creature. okay. But then where did this creature come from? And that's the one question that I don't think anybody's asked yet. Where did the white entity come from? I look at this issue, and when Sinestro gets his flashback going, he's speaking to the entity. I see your birth, your violent entrance into the barren and endless space, sent here by accident or purpose. And then later... When Necron is trying to cut the entity out of Sinestro, Necron says to it, whoever or whatever sent you here will regret it. And that factor in, you know, how has Necron been referring to the entity since it was revealed? He's been calling it invader, intruder, trespasser. The entity came to the universe from somewhere else. I think, like, the next big kind of sprawling story arc we get might be dealing with the answer to that question of like, alright, they've already told us right here where life within the universe came from. Alright. But now they've, they've set up the question of where did the entity that caused life in this universe to exist come from? And more importantly, who or what made it come here? And I'm very... This is one of those things where, like, I'm excited that Blackest Night is over because I want to see that explored. So, I mean, like, you really think that they're just going to, like, that's going to be the next thing that they talk about? Like, where the entity came from? I don't know what form it's going to be pulled in. I don't know if, like, that's going to be the next equivalent of of Blackest Night after the Snatcher Core and Blackest Night now this thing or anything like that. I think it's, I think it has to come up. Because they never, like, this this stood out to me because all of a sudden we have this entity and then this issue comes out and twice in it we get really blatant, direct references to the idea of it came to the universe from somewhere outside of the universe. 
and it puts Necron's, like how Necron refers to the entity in the whole new perspective. And we know by now, Jeff Johns does not put in dialogue willy-nilly just for the hell of it. He put this crap in here. He's going to the, he's going to to expound upon it later. Um, I don't know because I mean this this could be the kind of thing where he's making a statement so you know like so concrete that he'll never you know have to go back and touch on it again. Because I mean like you know whoever sent the the white entity you know into the universe is got to be something like uh, you know orders of magnitude more powerful than we can even conceive and like you know on such a large scale you know that like i don't know i mean like i can't even process it you know it, it it's almost like you know you know god always was so you know you can't really trying to think about where God came from or how anything can always have existed is just a concept that we as finite beings cannot understand or comprehend. I don't, I like, I, I get what you're saying. I don't think that's the way to be looking at it, though, because, again, you know, not to be offensive, but as far as religion goes, you can almost have, like, the catch-all of no matter what they introduce as an explanation, God made it happen. All right, so you can, I mean, something I would love to see is if outside of of the universe, the multiverse, everything that we know of as far as, you know, this being the way the reality works, outside of all that is this great big white space populated by entities, okay? And maybe maybe what all Blackest Night has been telling us about, you know, death and darkness being the true nature of the universe, light is just a cancer, Maybe that's flipped. Maybe this this all white endless void is the real nature of existence, and there's this little black cancer on it. So they sent the white entity inside to try and burn it out by injecting it with light and life. And you know that's as far as that has to go. And you can always say like, like okay, that doesn't necessarily invalidate any religious beliefs or make you question what can be bigger than God, because God can always be above that. You know, you're just adding, like, one more layer to the sandwich that is existence. Right. And, and like, like it's not it's not asking you to accept, well, there's this big white void out here, and that's where God must be, or something bigger than God. That's just giving you this extra layer of existence where beings like the entities, which... Frankly, these entities existing at all is a concept that they've really gotten us to warm up to by introducing them gradually. So telling us that there's a whole region out there populated by them, I don't think would be too... like Not a lot of people would call bullshit on that at this point, or in a few years when they get to it. So, And you can just say, well, all right, this new white place they found, that's just the place where the race of these things live. And there can still be there can still be like higher spiritual beings and whatnot above that. If this place exists, then like I don't know what's the point of it story wise. I we're not supposed to know yet. 
I mean, I, obviously, I realize that, but I mean, I mean, from a story perspective, like if that's the case, then I mean, unless like the entity needed somebody to play with or hang out with, I don't know that that offers a lot, you know, to to work with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I mean, it's it's just a matter of like every time you, like every time you answer a question. It yields other questions, you know, like, like, all right, where our right, Green Lantern uses this re- this weird green energy? What the hell is that? Well, it's willpower. Okay, where did willpower come from? Well, it came from the emotional spectrum. All right, where does the emotional spectrum come from? It come, well, it came from basically sparks started by these entities. Well, where did the entities come from? Well, they came from you know the early stages of life as life progressed. Well. Where did life come from? Well, life came from this white entity that, you know, it seeded the dark void that we know as space with planets and stars and life forms. Well, where did the white entity come from? And they're telling us right here, it came from somewhere else. So, you know, I mean, Jeff, at this point, like, Grant, I'm not I'm not the writer Jeff Johns is, and I don't claim to know what's going on in his head. But at this point, after reading so very much of his work and devoting so many hours on the show to dissecting the ins and outs of his work, mm-hmm. when he he devotes like like two different sequences in the same issue to this idea, at the end of his big story arc where he teases what he's going to be doing in the future, I, t- I don't see how he can't eventually touch on this. Especially if the white entity is going to stick around, which, you know, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? If that's the case, if, you know, if, if, if all this that, you know, you're, you're talking about is the case, then I just hope that this isn't, like, some way that they're going to introduce some sort of a new multiverse kind of thing. They already have one of those. <laughs> I know, I know, exactly. And they don't do anything with it. So, I hope that, like, they're not, like, using this where it's like, you know, and, you know, in this this white, you know, white space with populated by entities, you know, it's, like, actually filled with, like, a whole bunch of these little black spots, and those are all, like, you know, multiverses or whatever. Yeah. No, they won't do that. Okay. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Oh. Are we done with this issue? I think we're done with the issue. Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Hebrew Lantern's gonna love this episode. <laughs> <laughs> or hate it. Nah. Alright. Why don't you take the reins and tell us about Blackest Night number 8. Sure, but let's take a quick break and then come back with that. Hi everybody, this is Jim Ford once again. Just a quick con announcement. This weekend, April 16th through 18th, there's going to be a major convention in Chicago, Illinois. It's C2E2. You can check it out at C2E2.com. It's going to be at the Lakeside Center at McCormick Place. This is going to be a huge convention in terms of Green Lantern. So anybody that's in the area, you're definitely going to want to go and check it out. You have artists such as David Finch. He's been doing the covers to Brightest Day. You have amazing Green Lantern writer Jeff Johns is going to be there. 
the Green Lantern artist Doug Monkey is going to be there. Previous Green Lantern artist Ethan Van Skyver. Green Lantern core artist and Brightest Day artist Patrick Gleason. You got Gene Ha, who did the Star Sapphire story in Tales of the Core. He's also the one that did the Blackest Night JSA covers. You have, aside from Jeff Johns, you have Peter Tomasi. He's been writing Green Lantern Core. He's now going to be writing Brightest Day. Well, one of the writers on Brightest Day. You got J.T. Krull, the writer on all the Blackest Night tie-ins for Titans, Teen Titans, and Green Arrow. And, of course, Ron Mars, the creator of Kyle Rayner. A lot of these people are just going to be there for you to talk to. They'll be signing things. You might be able to get some art commissions from some of the artists. Also, if you go to the DC Comics booth, which is number 630, a lot of times DC has their major artists and writers there to do signings and do free sketches. So check that out. And to all of our Marvel listeners, you're going to want to check out booth 758, because Marvel usually does the same thing with their artists and writers. And, of course, the, the biggest thing going on at C2E2, in terms of Green Lantern fans, is over at the Graffiti Designs booth, number 437. What they have there is the White Lantern Sinestro figure and the Black Lantern Hal Jordan figure. You can only get them at this con or WonderCon, which was just a few weeks ago. So this is the last chance you're going to be able to pick these up. They're very limited. You have to basically get a raffle ticket, and you might be lucky enough to get a few. But definitely something worth trying. These are great-looking figures, and again, you can only get them here. So if you're in the Chicago area, anywhere near there, and you are free this weekend, then definitely check it out. It's a great convention to go to. And if we have any Lantern Cast listeners, this is the plea that I'm going to make. If you can get a White Lantern Sinestro and Black Lantern Howl for me, then I would be greatly appreciative. I will reimburse you, and I will be very, very happy. But even if anybody can't do that, please go check this out, because this is your opportunity to meet a lot of people involved with Green Lantern. So check it out, and have fun, and now let's get back to the program. Now, we've covered Green Lantern 52, Green Lantern Core 46, our Secret Six issues. There's just one issue left to cover for Blackest Night. I feel like I'm not going to do a very good job of, uh, of summarizing this, but, you know. Okay, so, you got Sinestro with the white entity inside of him. He's battling Necron. He's kind of trying to chain him up with Abin's or, like, uh, ring creations in, in white energy. And he tears out Necron's heart. So, you know, you kind of think, oh my goodness, is the issue going to end right here? No, absolutely not. Because another random Black Lantern just picks up Necron's scythe and turns into Necron all over again. Necron is death, so you can't kill him. You know, you have that, uh, you have them fighting the whole different colored cores fighting, you know, tons and tons of Black Lanterns, and all of a sudden they're joined by a whole lot more different colored Lanterns as well. So there's just like this this two-page spread, tons and tons of different cores fighting, 
they're all, you know, aiming their energies on Necron. It's not really doing anything, not helping, and finally Necron is able to rip the white entity out of Sinestro. Maybe it has something to do with his ego, but whatever. So we kind of we kind of realize that okay, nobody's going to be able to really take control of the entity. But that's when Hal just kind of like flies directly at the entity and kind of like brings his uh, his fellow Black Lantern slash living Black Lantern people directly into the White Entity, and they all become White Lantern core members. Pretty awesome. And, you know, they're just kind of like commenting on how they chose life, and now they choose life for William Hand, the Black Hand. They bring Black Hand back to life. And just like, you know, when he spit out the Black Ring way back in that Green Lantern issue, this time he spits out a White Ring. Flies directly through Necron's heart, directly into the Black Power Battery, and resurrects the Anti-Monitor, who was killed in Green Lantern Corps number 46. Like, now he's resurrected, and he's fighting Necron. Meanwhile, you have uh, Black Hand is just, you know, he keeps vomiting up more and more white rings. And uh, Necron is just completely obliterated as the White Rings fly through him. They fly onto the hands of a few different Black Lanterns. And all of a sudden, we have a series of characters resurrected. We'll get to that in a minute. You have Mera now seeing that one of the characters resurrected was Aquaman. And her love overrides her rage which is kind of a problem because, you know, it kind of needs the red ring to pump your heart. But luckily they have Carol, a star, a star sapphire, um, together with uh, St. Walker, the Blue Lantern. They're able to kind of do that heart transplant life thing that was that happened in the Green Lantern Corps, and St. Walker, you know, gets the, the red rage out of her system. So now she's normal. You know, there's uh, reunions with some of the characters that came back to life. And uh, the most interesting was uh, Jade and Kyle as Ceranic Natu kind of looks on awkwardly. Maxwell Lord has a, an interesting little moment with Guy Gardner. We we have the resurrection of, what is it, uh, Eobard Thorne? And he zooms out of there. And the strangest of all of the, you know, White Lantern resurrections was Dead Man, who now everybody can see. So it's alive Dead Man. Larflees takes back his orange ring from Lex Luthor, just kind of like tosses him on the ground the first time he's actually given something to anyone. But as he had made that deal, he takes Sade as his own personal guardian. And then everybody really looks around and says, hey, wait a second, where's Black Hand and the Indigo tribe? And uh, meanwhile, on the, the Indigo planet, um, they're all just kind of like wandering through their, you know, hill, land, planet. And uh, they have one new recruit, the Black Hand, who's in chains, in chains very similar to the ones that Necron wore. And uh, it almost looks like he's been lobotomized. 
Barry and Hal standing in the grave like they were in the very beginning of Blackest Night. And uh, apparently now dead is dead in the DC Universe. Close with a page. Something apparently has landed in a crater. Close up is it's a white lantern, a white power battery. Uh, There's the final book of the black in Indigo. In Indigo language, we have a couple of words that do some translating, but uh, not really much help on what that means. There's a few words that we do know. It's probably setting things up for what's going to be happening in the future, but uh, we don't know because we don't speak Indigo. And that is Blackest Night number eight. Have you tried to decipher this book of the black at all? Not terribly much. I mean, it... I mean, there's a whole thread on our forum about people trying to pool everything and figure out translations for the Indigo Lanterns, and, and God bless them, but I don't, I'm not gonna try and, like, make me, myself crazy about it. I mean, I noticed that they mention, you know, obviously they mention Avancer and all that, but they mention, um, um, Hector Hammond and the Shark. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, Krona in the same sentence as Larfleeze, which, you know, if if they if they uh, didn't shine a light on the fact that the Krona is related to the orange battery before, I think they're definitely doing it now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, the other thing, Parallax, Hector Hammond, and the Shark. That's like, uh, you know, and, and also Sinestro. But, um... Oh, wait a second. I just realized something. Uh, it mentions Larflees, Atrocitus, St. Walker, and Star Sapphire. And then in the next, you know, sentence, Sinestro, uh, something about Parallax, Hector Hammond, and the Shark. So, oh, and uh, Radsaw, and Aqua War. Um, what you call it? Maybe they're referring to whoever stole Parallax. You think Hector Hammond and the Shark stole Parallax? Well, no, no, definitely not, because when um, it was in the issue of Green Lantern, I want to say 51, where uh, Parallax just kind of blinked out of existence, like, you know, he was being stolen. And Hector Hammond, you know, makes a point of saying, it's like, oh, no, you know, he's taken Parallax. Well, Hector Hammond and the shark were both experimented on by Evil Star, which I, I kind of had suspected that the next big thing would be with Evil Star, you know, and I kind of figured that he would be the one that took Parallax. But if you, you know, if you go a little further, Larflees, Atrocitus, St. Walker, and Star Sapphire, Larflees is most likely in control of the orange entity. Atrocitus... Like, you know, he he wants to get his hands on the Rage Entity. St. Walker, you know, could very well host the Blue Entity. No. And Star Sapphire, Carol, they they wanted to, uh, you know, give her the Predator. She's the only one who could, like, seem to contain it, they think. Hmm. I'm kind of hoping that the Evil Star story is, like, smaller. Because after reading this ginormous thing... I want to see, like, a few more stories that are, like, 
between one and three issues long, just right out of the gate, you know? Yeah. Well, we'll probably see stories, we, we may actually see stories that involve the other entities, and then as soon as the story's done, the entity will get, like, snatched away by Evil Star. And then we'll find out about that later on, like, you know, in a year or two. Yeah, they could set that up, and then eventually that one Blue Lantern girl will be like, hey, can we help my planet now? You know, the whole Evil Star thing. And Hal will be like, oh, sure, I'll go. And that's how they'll fall into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing was somebody on the forums had mentioned that the word scop it doesn't really fit with uh, the language. So he's thinking maybe that's the name of their entity. But, like, just the way that it sounds, like, I, I kind of wonder if Aqua War is actually the name of their entity. Their entity's name is Squishy. I think Aquawar would would be a little more fitting, actually. You would, wouldn't you? Yeah. Squishy, help you. <laughs> um, jumping gears a little. Okay. This is now the second time that we've seen a Star Sapphire use someone's heart to jumpstart someone else's heart. Right. For some reason, I think I'm cool with it now, <laughs> because it's like... <laughs> I I don't know I, I I can't remember what it was that I think it was it had to do with a manner of killing Black Lanterns or something I can't remember but like you were there was something like a few episodes ago that I couldn't believe you didn't hate and you did you you were fine with it because they had done it a few times now so okay that's establishes how you do that yeah like this to me this is the same kind of thing like like when they pulled it out the first time. It was kind of just just the circumstances of like the shock value of killing Kyle just reverse the very next day kind of thing. It was just cheap. Mm-hmm. Now when they they do it here with a legitimate story reason that's not shock value related, you know, it's it's I don't know. I accept this as a power the Star Sapphires have now. You know. Okay. I don't know how you feel about that. Or if it's still, like, a crappy, oh, they can resurrect people. Uh, no, I'll just, I'll go with it. Because <laughs> they can't just, they can't resurrect anybody. It's it's like you have to have love for that person to create the tether. So, I don't know. Um, let's see. There's a lot to get to for this issue. Uh, I know. Why don't we talk about the people that were resurrected? Yes. How how insanely awesome is that gatefold spread? Oh, it's it's a it's a poster. I mean, this is like something that they're going to be handing out as an actual poster at like uh, San Diego Comic Con. I would figure. I hope it still has the live on it. Like that's just it's just awesome. Like and like the art in this in general, like especially here, like I mean, yeah, they took the one month off to do those horrendous resurrected titles, but it was so worth it if this was the end result they were working towards. And not just this one image, like this whole... Like, the art didn't get shaky in this event, and I'm just so glad about that, but... You know, that's that's me digressing a little bit. I can't remember, did... Was Jade... Um, was she severed? Was her connection severed? I... <sighs> I don't think so. I think I remember Ceranic Natu beating the crap out of her, and that was before Monk 
That's what that was before like they joined up with the any indigo people on Oa. So probably not. So really Osiris is the only one that was really like connection severed. I think. Did they sever Zoom? I don't think so. Huh. Oh wait, wait, no. No. The Hawks. Remember when Indigo won and Monk showed up in the Justice League headquarters? They, uh... Oh, wait, no. Was that the Hawks or was that Ralph and Sue? I think that was Ralph and Sue. I feel like they killed Hawkman and Hawkgirl, too. No, no, definitely not, because... Uh, in the third Titans... Mini, uh, issue three of the Titans uh, Blackest Night miniseries... Hawk was one of the ones that got away when Dove started lighting up everybody up. Uh, I meant uh, Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Oh, oh. Well, that doesn't... No, no, they were definitely around. And even if they weren't, then you still had the other two versions, like, of the ancient versions. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so, anyway, you got um, Maxwell Lord, you got the Reverse Flash, you got Hawk from Hawk and Dove, the original Hawk. Uh, Hank, the male one. Yeah, this is, this is Hank Hall. This is the guy that eventually came Monarch in the future, although they completely ignore that. Yeah, an extant in Zero Hour and all that. Yeah, yeah. You have Jade. You have, um, what's his name, Boomerang Man? Captain Boomerang, the original Captain Boomerang. Boomerang Man. <laughs> Boomerang Man, you jerk. <laughs> you got Firestorm, the original Firestorm. You have Martian Manhunter. Well, that's a cool costume. I know he has pants now. I like it. <laughs> um, you got Aquaman. Very cool costume. You have Hawkman and Hawk Girl, Or is that Hawk Woman? Ah, Hawk Girl, so. Whatever. Deadman and we have, uh, what's it? I know it's Op Osiris. Yeah, Osiris. Okay. <laughs> so... These are all the people that got resurrected. If you're not on this page, sorry. Yeah, they, they've come out and said, like, afterwards, like Johns has said, yeah, these 12 characters are the only ones that are resurrected. And that in itself is very interesting, because then it becomes a question of, all right, why did these characters get brought back and not, you know, Ted Cord and not Ralph and Sue Dibney, you know? What is it about them, you know? And that's that's a level that I didn't expect. Like oh. I I did not expect that. Oh, I just I just realized something. What? I, so the first time I read this, you know, uh after this double page spread, you have like a close up of, you know, Dead Man who, you know, realizes he's alive and says, Wait a second, this isn't right. You know, this this shouldn't be. Um, you realize that he actually still has his white ring on his his hand, right? You just saw that? Well, no, no, no. As I was reading it, I did notice that. What I didn't notice was that everybody else that was brought back to life didn't have the ring on their hands. You didn't notice that? Oh, like, cause that, yeah. that's what made it stand out to me. I'm like, oh, cr the first time I read this, I'm like, oh crap, Dead Man has a, still has his ring and nobody else does. Well, like, I, I wasn't paying attention that closely in the double page spread. And then when I saw Dead Man had the ring, I just assumed that everybody that was brought back had one. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, so basically everybody else that was brought back to life, you know, they, like, they don't have a ring anymore. They brought them back and, like, I guess they internalized the ring or whatever. Yeah, like, the ring went on their fingers, it, it like, dissipated and that energy brought them back to life. So there's no physical ring anymore. Right. Now, there is one ring left on Dead Man. Now, presumably, if he takes the ring off, he is Dead Man again, and he can go floating around, presumably. If it's even possible to take off. Yeah, either way. Um, And, like, on the last page, we have a white battery. So now, so my, my thought is, Dead Man, like, as he is, you know, as a spirit, he can jump into anybody that's living and possess them. Well, what if, by giving him the white ring, they, like, kind of counterbalance his power so that he can, like, temporarily pass along a white ring and kind of, like, deputize somebody to come back to life for 24 hours to help him on a mission? That would be kind of cool. What I'm curious about is how is this going to play out with his bones laying there in Nanda Parvet? Unless, unless they transported his body, you know, instantly through the power of the White Ring. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm calling this right now. Dead Man is going to be like, like when Bryce Day starts, Dead Man is going to be like the most important character in the entire series. And there's going to be, like, some bizarre mystery with him. Like, he's going to be walking around alive. He won't be able to get rid of this ring for some reason. He'll have a physical body, even though his remains are still lying on that table with Blue Devil looking at it. <laughs> and it's, it's going to be all about what the hell is up with that man. And moreover, what the hell will happen if he tried charging his ring at this white battery? Well, yeah, I'm definitely curious to know that, but... When the white ring came, you know, came at him, it went directly through him, heading, you know, off somewhere else. So that white ring didn't bring back his spirit. I think it actually did bring back his body. Maybe. Um, I mean, the other thing is you can clearly see, like, the folded pages of the gatefold, you know, fold-out. The rings are flying all over the earth to get to their, you know, their designated targets I'm I love the Ronnie Raymond Jason Rush thing like, this is the great the most interesting situation they could have come up with for Firestorm because uh. okay they do not have to choose between the original and the legacy character because Firestorm is made up of two people fused together yeah uh, Jason is more of a uh, a science guy than Ronnie is so Firestorm doesn't really lose anything by having him instead of, like, the professor or somebody. And you get an insane amount of drama and out of the fact that in order to have Firestorm, Jason has to merge with this guy who killed Jason's girlfriend while making him watch. <laughs> like, I want to see Firestorm get used. I hope Firestorm is big and bright as day. Yeah, that's, well, that, that's so messed up. Man. Uh... And, they, and they gave Martian Manhunter pants. This is awesome. <laughs> um, okay. Now, one thing that they don't deal with at all is, like, okay, 
everybody that was like a living Black Lantern mm-hmm. got converted to a White Lantern, you know, when they brought Black Hand back to life, right? Yes. Okay. Now, at that moment, Wonder Woman and the Flash, their you know their deputized rings were overridden. Yeah. Um, you know they they lost their their connection there. Uh, you know again that he is he's keeping his green ring. Scarecrow already lost his ring to Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor mm-hmm. lost his ring to Larfleas. Um. Mira's ring got overridden by her own love. Exactly. And that just leaves one last ring. Yeah. And we see um, on that same page where, you know, Mira's ring is overridden by her love, standing on Hal's shoulder is the Atom in his compassion gear. Yeah, and this this is one thing that I want to know what happened, just because if you look at the top of the page... Adam's standing there. He's obviously holding his staff. Right. All right. Then you get down to the bottom of the page. Adam's standing there still. He's violently glowing. And then you turn the page, and he's back to regular Adam attire. Or you get to the Firestorm page, wherever that is. And this is the first time I've seen Adam flare up with energy like that. So, you know, maybe... I mean, while we we actually, you know, we do know while this was all going on, the Indigo Tribe just cut and ran, so maybe they took their stuff with them. Yeah. Yeah, but um, and all the all the other thing is, he flares up with energy, and he no longer has the staff in his hands. Yeah, so like maybe it was them. Maybe when the Indigo Tribe teleported away, Indigo One zapped the ring and staff away from him and transformed him back to normal, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, I guess that's really the only possibility. You know, oh, well, it's, okay, there's only two possibilities. There's only two possible things that could possibly happen. One, you know, because it happens off-panel, the Indigo just reclaim their energy, and, you know, Adam loses it, and he just pops back to normal. Or... Maybe we'll find out in Brightest Day or something. We might find out that um, he decided to, like, kind of pocket the the ring and, you know, save it for a later date when he may need it. Hmm. Although, aren't they only good for, like, 24 hours? Well, supposedly, but... I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe, like, maybe you feel... Compassion strongly enough, you could light it yourself for one of those situations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like we really should have seen the Black Hand thing coming, like like that being the key to killing Necron, just because I we said before, Black Hand, he's really didn't do anything in this entire story. He's just kind of been there. So it, it, make, it makes sense, like, okay, how, why is why is this guy hanging around? We can't figure out. We can't figure out how to stop the bad guys. Well, this one bad guy, who's apparently super important, has been there the whole time, hasn't contributed anything. So what's the point of having him there? Well, he's the weak point. You have to attack. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> they basically did 
Not exactly, but they basically did what I thought Sinestro was going to do. It would be like, huh, oh, Black Lantern guy, shoot him with white light and he comes back to life. <laughs> yeah. I do like the fact that, like, alright, Sinestro proved that you can't really control the white entity. So, when Hal and company share it, they don't try to. They just aim it at where they want it to go. And it just goes. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Because they chose life, so they, you know, together chose life for William Hand. Yeah, he's going to be pissed <laughs> when he comes out of his coma. <laughs> his Guy Gardner-esque coma. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if this is, like, similar to what the Star Sapphires do in the, uh, you know, in the Crystal Chambers. You mean what the Indigo guys did? Yeah, to, to Black Hand. Um, maybe. Maybe this is how you get a new Indigo member. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, I think it's interesting that, you know, if you, uh, if you look closely on that, um, that spread where, you know, all of a sudden, like, everybody's there, the two-page spread, the more the merrier page. Yeah. Like, they make, they make a, a very good point of, like, showing, uh, Green Arrow, and, and ice. You know, especially because Green Arrow was frozen, you know, in his, uh, in his series, and ice was kind of like shattered in the Green Lantern Corps issue. I like how they paired off characters in here, like Power Girl is going after Superman, Ice is fighting fire, uh, Hawk and Dove are fighting each other down there, Wonder Woman's fighting Maxwell Lord. Star Sapphire is fighting uh, Martian Manhunter. Atrocitus is fighting the inversions up over there. Yeah. <laughs> I I just, I love this spread. This is awesome. Like, they didn't cut any corners with this. Yeah. And, like, they had, even had Hal and Black Hand going at each other, like the main dudes from each core. The spread I did not like is the, uh, the White Lantern core two-pager. Oh, let me see. Oh yeah, I'm. I want to see if you can understand this because I can't really explain it. But the very first thing that came to my mind when I looked at this was it reminds me of Rob Liefeld, and I don't know if it's just like something about the line work or the inking or what. Like I, I love the picture. I love the black hand portion of it, but like these characters in these costumes, especially Hal Jordan. There's just something really Rob Liefeldy about it to me. I just don't like looking at it, and it 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 bugs me every time I look at this page. Um, I don't know about that. I I can't really see too much Rob Liefeld in this, but there are there are odd things about it. Well, the costumes suck. <laughs> uh, for for one thing, Superman. For for instance, like yeah. he doesn't have an S. They just superimpose the the life symbol right over it, right over the you know the center of the S, and then they have like these weird lines like shooting out of it. It doesn't it make any sense whatsoever. It it looks like their costumes are very crinkly. Like if they move around, you'll hear it. You know, <laughs> like they're dressed in foil. Kind of like foil and plastic and. I mean, like, like realistically, 
I can understand why they didn't spend so much time trying to come up with designs for these people. Because, yeah. like, the designs literally are there for, like, one one page. That's it. One double-page spread, and then the costumes are no longer there. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really make sense to, you know, oh, let's spend a lot of time and, you know, work this all out. But by the same token, it's like, you know, I don't know, the Superman thing just... That that definitely stood out to me. How cool was it, though, once Sinestro pulled Necron's heart out? Like, after a year of seeing Black Lanterns rip the heart out of living people, seeing, like, the embodiment of life rip the heart out of Necron was just... It was just like, yay! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Necron's just like, yeah, that's not gonna do anything. It was good. To, you know, that that's like what you were saying, like, there's certain things that you want to see them try, but it shouldn't work. Yeah. So now dead is dead. Yeah, well, for now. Yeah. <laughs> and I trust I trust the fact that with Jeff John's recent promotion, he might be able to keep that the case for a while. But, you know, I'm not looking for any absolutes here. Well, you know, I mean... I think if they have the uh, the dead man thing, you know, or even, like, allow dead man the option to deputize for 24 hours, you know, whoever he wants. So that way you get, like, you know, you can get stories of whoever you want coming back, and, you know, they have a very, you know, logical reason for doing so. And then after 24 hours, like, you know, you can tell a story with them, and after that story is over, they're gone. You know what that reminds me of? What? Did you ever read um, any of Kid Eternity? Uh, no. He's a character that, you know, his superpower was that, I, I forget how he did it, maybe he called out their name or something, but he could bring back anyone who had died for a limited span of time to help him out. So, you know, if if there's something that George Washington would be perfect suited to help him with, he could bring back George Washington for a little while if... I think there was um there was a one point where like during the time where Hal Jordan was dead, he brought back Hal Jordan for a, for a few minutes or something. That kind of thing. Like that that reminds me like what you're talking about with Dead Man reminds me of that. Mm. Speaking of Dead Man and Rings, mm -hmm. this is like an, another like like I don't necessarily think it'll be a throwaway line because otherwise why even have it? When Deadman jumps into Guy Gardner, they basically devote a panel to Deadman saying that he can't make Guy's ring work. So, like, I feel like that's going to matter in some way. Like, whether whether you know he can't get the white ring to do whatever it's supposed to be down the line, or or something. I don't know. I don't know. It was something about the nature of Deadman, but it's like, like they could have just as easily not had that panel there at all. And had, you know, the next panel start with Guy saying, it's Dead Man Lantern, and then go into that whole text thing. It was just, it was one of those, I read it, and I'm like, huh, why did they put that there? Well, um, I mean, I figure there's, there's two, two possibilities for that one. Uh, you know, one that, 
he just doesn't have the willpower to get it to work. Like, you know, it, it took so much energy out of Green Arrow to, you know, to get it to, like, kind of fizzle. You know, it could be that. Or it could be the fact that since he's dead, he doesn't possess any, you know, living emotional willpower. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that emotion would, would uh, be tied to a physical form. I don't know. Either way, mm. I like how when Guy comes out of it, he's like, what the hell just, ah, uh, who cares, back on track. Hey, Skeletor! <laughs> yeah. I think that was great. I love those little moments you can only do with Guy Gardner. <laughs> We were right about Sinestro keeping the White Lantern status for all of ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I'm, I'm, I notoriously gave flack to Barry Allen's, you know, uplifting speech to Adam and Mara, like at the halfway point of the series or whenever. The whole like, like, you know, Superman, Batman aren't home right now, so you're Superman, Batman, or whatever the hell he said, and then they're like. If I'm Superman, you're Batman, then who is he? He's the Flash. And, like, I hated that thing. I thought it was nothing but 100% cheese. But here, when they, when, when he gives his, his spiel on life, and how, you know, life doesn't give us purpose, we give life purpose, I'm like, you know what? That's the kind of thing that I think I wanted to get. That's the kind of feeling I wanted to get out of that one. I like this one. Mm. Cause it's a, and it's a natural thing to throw in there too, cause it's like, this whole time that's been the bad guy's argument that like, like, life, it was an accident, it wasn't supposed to happen, we're not supposed to be here, life isn't supposed to exist, and, you know, here are living things running around saying, yeah, you know what, no. No. Life exists, life matters because of, of what we put into it. So, go the hell away. We choose life. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So, so the Anti Monitor is alive again. I'm sure Adam Murdo is happy. <laughs> yes. Uh, the one thing that they don't really follow up with is um, whatever happened to the Guardians. No, they're there. Where are they? At the. Oh, where is it? Let me find the page. Uh, the page where St. Walker says, you know, hey, where the hell did the Indigo people go? The, uh, bottom panel in the middle. It was right next to the Dead Man Has a Rain page. Oh, shoot, look at that. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're fine. They're still there. Oh, well. I am glad the Anti-Monitor is back, because he's, like, kind of like the, the DC Universe's big bad, so. You know, it's good to have him around. He has a cape again. Hee <laughs> hee. So, okay, so the Guardians are back. So that means that Ash and Sarek are definitely gone for good. Yeah, probably. That's sad. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm glad they got the the use they got, because, I mean, it had been, been like a decade since they each had their, like, well, Ash, Ash at least, it's been like a decade since he had, had his one story and then never referenced again. Yeah. So they got some good use out of him and Sarek too. Yeah. I guess. Okay. Are we done? Oh, I'm trying to think. I feel like there should be more. Mm. I mean, they didn't answer any questions whatsoever concerning Dove, but I think that's supposed to come in brightest day. 
so. Yeah, I'll just accept it for now. What you call it? Yeah, like with this with this issue, like the very first page, it's like I, I forget what I was reading before this. It might have been the Secret Six issues or um I don't know. Whatever it was. All of a sudden, like you you just open this up and like, you know, that that initial page is just drawn like so amazingly well. Just you know, it it really it just starts the whole issue out on a good note. And so much is set up in this issue too, because I don't know if you saw it, but um, that uh that uh Birds of Prey cover has been unblacked out, and the the two blacked out figures on it on it are um Hawk and Dove. Yes. So you know you got this panel with Hawk freaking out. Hawk and Dove, that's going to be continued in Birds of Prey. You got Guy Gardner finding Maxwell Lord, which is going to... It, it pretty much has to continue off in that Justice League International bi-weekly thing. Mm-hmm. You got Jade kissing Kyle in front of Ceranic, which, you know, that's got to be Green Lantern Corps. You've got, you've got, like, two of Flash's big bad guys are back now, which and there's a Flash book that's about to start. You've got Freaking the dead man stuff, which has got its being brightest day. You've got, you've got all of this. You've got like the indigo thing that's gonna be in Green Lantern. You've got the battery that's gonna be both brightest day and Green Lantern. Like there's, there's so much that is set up in the last like ten pages of this book. Like, like you can get DC stories out of this issue for years. <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to see like how long it takes to get an Aquaman series. I I hope they go slowly with this. They use the Black Lantern to kind of reinforce to everybody, okay, Aquaman, he can be a badass. Mm-hmm. And now they bring him back in one of... And, I mean, face it, this, is, this gatefold spread is one of the best Aquaman pictures I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I I hope they take it a little slowly. Use like make him a figure in Bryce Day. Make him and his family put them in Bryce Day. It's a book that people would be checking out whether they like Aquaman or not, and continue to just prove why people should like the character. Because like I feel like if they just throw him into an Aquaman book, that's going to get largely ignored. <laughs> mm. I mean, I would buy it. I'm telling you right now, if they put out an Aquaman number one next month. I would pick it up because I'm interested in Aquaman. I'm interested in Mara. I want to see what the hell happens with these guys. But I feel like, I mean, how many Aquaman series has DC tried? The intention of them being ongoing and, and then they just get canceled. Well, I mean, the only thing is when they start up an Aquaman series, it's usually just like, you know, Hey, we haven't done anything with Aquaman in a while. Let's uh, throw something at the wall and see if anything sticks. You know, as opposed to, okay, well, here he's had a pivotal role in, you know, or uh, like a central point role in, like, this amazingly huge crossover. So now he's back to life. He's been dead for a while. Why not roll out some, you know, kick-ass stories that people might actually want to read? Yeah, that's the thing. Blackest Night showed people why why Black Lantern Aquaman is awesome. 
they need to prove to people why living Aquaman is just as awesome. I mean, let's face it. If you put out Brightest Day number one and Aquaman number one, more people are going to try Brightest Day. So if you just make Aquaman one of the ensemble cast in Brightest Day and give him a significant role that really treats the character right, then you're going to get a a larger audience that could potentially warm up to Aquaman and want to buy his book when they launch it, hopefully after Brightest Day. Well, my my thought with that is when Brightest Day starts up, it's going to have a huge audience. But by the time Brightest Day, you know, starts winding down, I mean, like, the, the, the numbers the numbers always go down. I mean, it's just a fact of, you know, of comics. As a series progresses, the numbers go down. And this one's going to be going for a year. So, you know, like, I kind of feel like if they wait until Brightest Day is over and they no longer have a year's worth, you know, they're like, now it's a year away from the interest in Aquaman that they had from Blackest Night. You know, okay, well, people might be, you know, clamoring more so for an Aquaman book, but now there's a lot less of them to clamor for it. Well, but at the same time, I mean, look at what 52 did for Booster Gold. Before that series, you know, Infinite Crisis happened, that spun into 52, which focus on, like, a small list of, of B and C-list characters that, you know, nobody really would have bought an ongoing of before. It turned Booster Gold into a fan favorite, like, I don't think anybody would have ever expected. And, you know, after, after 52 ended, they gave Booster an ongoing series that's lasted for years. <laughs> I, what, what issue just came out? Like, 30-something? Do that with Aquaman. <laughs> Give us Brightest Day. Give us a bi-weekly series, though. That's less of a commitment than weekly. And just use that to tell us a really good Aquaman story that turns Aquaman into a fan-favorite character for the first time the way that 52 did for Booster Gold. And then once that's over and people actually openly like Aquaman again, give us an Aquaman book. It'll do better, I think. I don't know about that. But we can agree to disagree. Yeah, I mean, I mean, come on. If if they just, because that's the one thing, like all throughout Blackest Night, the the question has been about like what to do with Aquaman by the end. And one thing I kept seeing from every, from so many people is, well, it makes me like evil Black Lantern Aquaman. If they kept him a Black Lantern, that would be awesome. I don't know about living one, but I like him as Black Lantern. Okay. Because Black as Night did absolutely nothing to reinforce why people should like living, good superhero Aquaman. Well, well, wait, wait. How about this? If if you have a bunch of people that are interested in reading Aquaman, and you put out a series, you know, to tell Aquaman stories, or you you have a bunch of people that are interested in Aquaman, and you put out Brightest Day, and he's like a character in that, and people can go there to read stories about a bunch of things, and Aquaman's part of that. You know, like, okay, the Aquaman, you know, stories in Brightest Day can develop and make you a really big fan of Aquaman, or you can be picking up Aquaman, and the stories in Aquaman can make you a really big fan of Aquaman because you gave it a shot for number one. That's No, that's 
that's the point. That's the point. You're assuming that they have that fan base already. And if they have that fan base already, every Aquaman series they've ever tried to to have wouldn't have been canceled. Like like the kind of support you you're talking about they're being behind an Aquaman book. I they don't have that yet. Yeah, but oh, okay. Well, looking at the history of Aquaman for a second and like, you know, this is this episode was really long enough without looking at a history of Aquaman. This is important. But the history of Aquaman, like, the last time Aquaman was actually, like, you know, good and entertaining was, like, when Peter David gave him a hook hand in the 90s. And, you know, like, and that was, like, the best take on him. And it lasted for, it lasted for a decent while. Um, you know, like, they, they came, you know, they came back, they, they changed his story, and, you know, like, I'm not going to say it was bad or good, because I didn't, you know, read that story where he had the water hand. You know, I, I I tried to get into it, and it just wasn't happening. And then, during one year later, they made Aquaman somebody new, and, you know, eventually killed off the original Aquaman in, you know, some weird, bizarre way. And, like, you know, the idea of Aquaman has, has been so, you know... I guess, lost for so long that I think people, you know, people would give an up, you know, they would give a chance to the original Aquaman coming back and telling Aquaman stories if they were good. You know, it, it's like in, in Brightest Day, in Blackest Night number eight, they didn't bring back Aquaman with a water hand. They brought back, you know, actual Aquaman, who I think, like, they would have the best shot at actually telling stories, especially with Mara for the, the role that she had in Blackest Night. You know, like, and we have no idea what's been going on with Atlantis. And at the same time, you have to you have to recognize that Aquaman is a character that pretty universally never got over his portrayal in Super Friends. Like, you go up to anybody and ask them, you know, to describe Aquaman to me. Or who is Aquaman? Or something like that. And nine times out of ten, you're going to get, oh, he's the guy that has to stay in the water all the time, and just his only power is talking to fish. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're going to, like, limit it to that, then you could say, okay, well, who's Green Lantern? It's like, well, he's got a ring, and he shoots green beams. I mean, you know, unless you're going to ask a comics fan, and if you ask a comics fan, then, you know, when was the last time Aquaman was, was relevant? They're going to tell you the Peter David run. I'm talking about comic fans. It's like Aquaman as a character has never been, I guess, accepted in the way that the other big DC characters have been. This is based on most of my life having conversations with, with fans of DC and fans of comics in general. Aquaman has forever been that Super Friends portrayal in people's minds. Like, the character has never gotten past that. And like, like, and I'm not saying that there haven't been like really good runs and really good creators that came along to try and push the character past it, but I think that overall, they didn't really succeed. That's why you see, like, that's why the series still get canceled. That's why they keep coming back and trying to tweak the character and change him, whether it's Peter David giving him a hook hand and a beard, or Grant Morrison doing this all the weird stuff he did in JLA, or you know whoever it was that gave him the water hand to 
you know, whatever the hell the deal was with that sort of Atlantis Aquaman character. You know, they keep trying to reinvent the wheel with Aquaman because people just aren't latching on to him. If you put out an Aquaman number one, just straight out of this, I would go for it because I like the concept of the character and I feel like I haven't seen the character really explored in like an interesting way, in a way that really appeals to me, but I'm interested generally in the character, so I'll check it out. And there are people out there who are as big into Aquaman as we are into Green Lantern, so they would check that out. But by and large, comic fans who know a thing or two about DC and know a thing or two about comics in general would say, Aquaman book. And they would go read something else. Whereas if you take this, and you use this to give Aquaman a launching point into another high-profile series, which Brightest Day will be, it's like so many more people are going to try Brightest Day than would try Aquaman number one. So, so many more eyes will be on Aquaman and the treatment they give the character in that and the stories they tell the char- about the character in that than if they just went ahead with Aquaman, Aquaman number one and asked the character to carry himself all by himself. So, I mean, I just looked it up. Booster Gold is up to issue 31. If they just launched Booster Gold number one without putting him in 52, do you really think that many people would have tried it? Like, do you think Booster Gold would still be ongoing right now if he did not have the development, the high-profile project that is 52 well, attached to him? <laughs> here's, here's, like, here's where my, my pessimism is generated. 52 was the first weekly series. Like, Tons of people got on board that. Now, you know, they've had some missteps. They've had Countdown, which sucked. They've had Trinity, which, like, you know, I was burned from Countdown, so I wasn't even going to give that a chance. And a lot of people said that it kind of petered out near the end. Like, now you have another, it's not a weekly series, it's a bi-weekly series. But, I mean, you know, it's still a, a massive commitment if if people stick to this the way that like you really think that they will, then you know okay, then yeah, then when this is all over, Aquaman will have a uh, you know a great jumping off point. They'll give him Aquaman Rebirth and you know have Ethan Van Skyver not draw it. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not draw it so that it can get out on time. But you know I still love Ethan Van Skyver. His artwork's amazing. But, you know, like, if, if that's the case, if Brightest Day is going to sell gangbusters like you think, then okay, definitely. I just feel that Brightest Day is going to sell well, but I don't think it's going to sell so amazingly that, you know, you can, like, after this, you'll be able to, like, you know, launch a thousand ships on the backs of Brightest Day. Oh, yeah. I think Brightest Day has two things going for it that the likes of, you know, Countdown and Trinity did not. One, it's spinning directly out of Blackest Night. So it's got it's got the connection to this story that just so many people love. And secondly, it's a Jeff Johns book. There are going to be people that are going to try Brightest Day, at least the first couple issues, on the fact that they love Jeff Johns. So And, like, this is him continuing the story that he laid out in Blackest Night. I suppose that's true. We'll see. 
you know what? After all this, I think we I think we'll have to we'll have to talk about the eventual Aquaman number one when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Gladly, I'm looking cool. forward to it. God, was there anything else in Blackest Night we should talk about? Oh God, um, which cover did you get? I, oh, that's right. I got the good one with Sinestro and everybody bursting through the skull from issue one. I got the variant on this one. Oh, you poor son of a bitch. I like it. I mean, look, I, it, that's the Doug Monkey one, right? Yes. And I like the, the image. Yeah. I've, and it's, and I like, I appreciate the, uh, the uh, Sistine Chapel ceiling thing they have going on. Yeah, yeah. But, as the as the the final cover to Blackest Night, I I, I saw that variant. And I was like, really? Because especially when you see the other one, it's like, it's like, I don't know. I just didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw this um, cheap enough that I said, you know what? Let me let me get the variant instead. I may I may go back and get the actual you know the regular cover, but but I really did kind of dig this uh, this variant cover. I was nervous that the colorist would kill this cover, the uh, the Sinatra one, because we saw the pencils for this a while back, and those look stunning. And I'm like, oh god, please, because this is the kind of image that bad computer coloring would just murder it. Yeah. And that didn't happen, so I was very pleased. Yeah, no, the the final version did look very good. Are we done, Dan? I think we're done. I think we are done with Blackest Night. Yeah, I, I don't I don't even think that there's anything else I wanna, you know, attach to this episode. Yeah. Oh man. I guess I'll just say if anybody, you know, has any comments or uh you know, questions or whatever for Blackest Night in general, if you wanna send us an email or, or voicemail, you know. Definitely go ahead and we'll play that hopefully next episode if you get it in on time. And if you're an Aquaman fan, feel free to weigh in. <laughs> yeah, please. Okay. Oh, God. Uh, this is awesome. We can do other things now. Oh, my God. I'm going to be sending you an email in a few days. You're going to love it. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah, this is this, so much stuff. So much stuff coming in the future, including brightest day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? That's that's the kind of thing where we could probably almost do just do one episode per month about brightest day if we wanted to, because it's only two issues a month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you can contact us because you're you're dying. So I'll just do this. You you want to contact us? That's lanterncast at gmail dot com. Or we have a forum at thecomicforums.com. Scroll on down to L for LanternCast. You can also find our forum as linked to on our website, LanternCast.com. Where the hell is it? Where's our voicemail number? There it is. Voicemail number is 206-600-7357. Yep. We're also on Facebook under LanternCast. I think that's it. Oh, individually... I'm Dan at LanternCast.com, Jim at LanternCast.com, Jason at LanternCast.com, and, you know, that's, and we're, we're awesome and like chocolate, so there we go. <laughs> what? Oh, 
it was just Easter. I was reminded of my love for chocolate. Oh. <laughs> uh, Alright, so that's the end of that. So long, everybody. Good night.